Hello, and welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep heritage alive at the community level. I'm Dale Jarvis, and today's guest is Kathy Jessup. Kathy was raised in a remote village on the Alaska Highway in northern BC, but wanderlust has taken her far from her roots. She's always loved telling tales. One day she stumbled upon the world of traditional storytelling and she was hooked. Since then, Kathy's performed original stories and world folk tales in schools, libraries, concerts, and festivals across Canada and internationally. Highlights include the Scottish International Storytelling Festival, a Nordic storytelling conference in Iceland, and most recently, sharing tales with school children in South Africa. Her stories have been published in various venues and included on several CD anthologies. Kathy Jessup, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Dale. And welcome to Newfoundland. It's welcome nice. back. You're welcome yeah. back. It's nice to have you here. Thanks. Um, and it's nice to have you. Uh, this is the first time you've been here for the St. John's Storytelling Festival. It is. I've uh, I've wanted to come for a long time, and I'm thrilled that it's it's working out. It's finally here. Yeah. Yeah. And I know you've you've told stories here uh, before. You were here for the Labrador Creative Arts Festival. I well, was. not here, but in, in, in Labrador, Labrador. Yeah, which is very <laughs> different. <laughs> Yeah, so it's good to have you uh, on the on the rock in the mainland, and uh, and uh, having having you tell some stories here. Um, one of the things that I wanted to talk a little bit about today was uh, your work on the Alaska Highway. Mm-hmm. Where, where did you grow up? Well, I grew up. Everything in, in, on the Alaska Highway is in terms of miles. So it's you know everybody. Never mind the name of where you come from. What mile are you at? And so I was raised at mile three hundred, which is a little uh, was a village in my time, and is now a town uh, called Fort Nelson. So it's about, the, the highway begins in Dawson Creek, and mm-hmm. we're mile 300, and it goes on all the way up to Anchorage and Fairbanks, Alaska. So we're at the beginning of the highway. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you've been working on a, a performance around the construction of the Alaska Highway. Well, it, it so happened, like a couple of years ago, I realized that, I mean, having grown up on the highway, I don't live there anymore, but I go back all the time. And I thought, you know, the 75th anniversary is coming up. And this is crazy. If I if I'm a storyteller, if I don't start collecting some of these stories, I you know what what am I doing? And my father, who was um, elderly at that time, was one of the first commercial truckers on the highway hmm. when it um, shortly after it opened. So for many many years, and I began to to just call him up and I would ask him questions about different things about trucking and about early trucks and about his memories and it just kind of grew from there. And I was so glad I did because you know in that couple of years now my father's passed away, and there aren't very many of those original truckers left and I am so glad and now I have this responsibility that I have his his stories and and maybe not so much other people's stories but certainly his which are 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 indicative of of that era and I just feel now that it's I've got to do something with them right yeah and so how did you start to take those stories and craft them into a into a performance well uh, you know being I guess an experienced storyteller I, I guess I sort of I knew that I would need a framework and I knew that, uh, you know, I kind of knew how to put together a show. And so when I looked at his, his stories, I began to see it as material, as fodder. And I was looking for a framework and thinking, how can I do this? So I, you know, I, I decided basically divided it up into kind of themes. And then um, for this show that I'm putting on in next year for the 75th anniversary, I thought, well, I really would like to have a musician. So I basically got my brother on board and he wrote some original material and uh, and then I thought, you know, you can't tell the story of this region without including the First Nations. You just can't because they were there before the highway. And it just so happened that this fantastic young woman just fell into my, you know, into my sphere. And she had written a book. Her great-grandfather was one of the original guides for the army when they were trying to find the route for the highway. And of course, the army couldn't find their way through the Northern Rockies. There were no maps at that time. 
It was uncharted wilderness. So all uh, the highway dates back to World War II, and all those early survey crews had were some aerial photographs to go by. So they did a smart thing. They went to the local hunters and trappers and uh, paid them to, to show them the way through. And Allison's great-grandfather, this First Nations woman, was, was arguably the most famous guide. So she made a coffee table book of her ancestors, her family, as far back as she could get photos dating to before their stories before the highway. So then I sort of sucked her into my vortex, into, into the show. <laughs> so it's the three of us. And so it's a combination of our different approaches. And we're, we've worked out this show. And we're going to go from Edmonton all the way to Whitehorse next year, 12 communities, and tell do this show um, in tiny little First Nations communities and in you know bigger theaters. And we call it a road show because, of course, we're traveling the highway. And it's just kind of taken on a life of its own. It's just exploded. It's the right show for the right time. Um, sponsors fell into place. Um, it's the 75th anniversary of the highway. It's the 150th anniversary of Canada. Um, it, it just was time. Yeah. And, and I just felt right that it was right to do it. Yeah. So what, what, does, what does the highway mean to the people who live along it or who grew up along it? Uh, well, the slogan for next year is uh, the Alaska Highway, Our Main Street. Right. And I thought, what a brilliant slogan, because um, people up there, when you when you grow up in, a, and, and I'm sure everywhere, when you grow up in a region that's isolated, you're tired of outsiders coming in. And every once in a while, you know, the CBC, God bless them, or somebody will come and they'll do a documentary and they'll get it all wrong, according to the locals, right? And the only time they come up here is when there's a problem and the coverage is negative. So I just thought, you know, um, it should come from inside. It should be organic. It should be us telling our stories. And that's kind of the way the people feel on the highway. They feel very proud of that road. Um, it's a very isolated road, even to this day. Uh, it's easily, in my hometown, even now, it's four and a half hours to the next community. Right. So, And I don't even mean like a crossroads. There's nothing. So when you are, when you, you either love it or hate it, and if you choose to live up there, you're a certain kind of person. And you are very proud, or, and you're tough, or you wouldn't, make, you wouldn't last. And my family tree is, is full of the pioneers of, of that chunk of the Alaska Highway. You know, that my uncles, when they came back from the Army, they, uh, they worked in the Army maintenance camps on the road. And, you know, my uncle was one of the few white guides for the Army. And, like, we're just chock-a-block in my family, full of connections to the Alaska Highway. And, and everybody up there, like, I, when I do this show next year, I know I'm going to be telling those stories. And there's going to be truckers, other truckers, sons and daughters and grandchildren in the audience nodding. Yep, that's my family. Or when my brother sings one of his songs, they're going to go, yep, I know that fishing place. And it's sort of everybody's story. But yet it's ours. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your dad and uh, his history. Wow. Well, <laughs> so he was a Saskatchewan farm boy and uh, he was too young to be in the Second World War. So the war ended about the time that he would have been old enough. So, But all his older brothers and uncles and everything went, and, in, went uh, in, in the war. And what was his name? His Frank. So so Frank, uh, of course, you know, didn't was not interested in staying on the farm in Saskatchewan. That wasn't exciting. But what was exciting, the new frontier was the north. So while all the young men were off fighting the war, the, the, it was the next generation of young, young men who then would, would do the work of the jobs around home. So there was, um, the American Army was based in Edmonton and they had the Alaskan Air Wing Command of the U.S. Air Force in Edmonton, Alberta. And uh, they were ferrying planes from the lower states up to Alaska for the Allies. And they needed to expand their base, so they were looking for construction workers. So my dad said, I can do that. So he leaves the farm in Saskatchewan, comes to Edmonton, worked on that American Army base in Edmonton, um, heard about this Alaska Highway that was brand new that had just been built, and thought, hmm, I could do that. And I asked my dad about that. I said, well, you didn't know anything about trucking. What were you doing, you know, on the Alaska Highway being a trucker? And he said, well, 
the early trucks were so primitive. He said, if you could drive a tractor, you could drive a truck. And he said the very first truckers on the highway that were working for the army were um, basically guys who had medicaled out, you know, whatever their problem was, flat feet or something, but they could drive a tractor, so they worked for the army on the, as truckers. Um, so then my dad became, I mean, when he joined the highway, it was um, it had been passed over from the Americans just to the Canadian army. So it still was a military road, closed to the public. But he was, uh, one of his, his first jobs for the first couple of years were ferrying um, supplies to the American base up in Alaska, big trips to, you know, back and forth up the highway. And it would take him, I think he said, six days to do the first 300 miles. That's how, how bad the highway was. Wow. So they had these primitive trucks. And he said that, I mean, there's so many stories, but he would just say things like, um, you know, you, you didn't have much for brakes. So you went in second gear up the hills because that's all you could do. And you went in, in second gear down the hills to save your brakes. <laughs> and when I was a kid, the highway was still very rough. Um, you know, gravel, potholes, twisting, winding, down through Muskeg, up over mountains. And every time there was a dangerous bend in the road, there was always what they would call a runaway track. So usually it was at the bottom of a hill and a twist right before a creek. And, and then so the road would curve left to the creek and the bridge and there would be a runaway track to the right so that when these trucks lost their brakes, they could run off and then there would be a slope and they would come to slowly come to a standstill. So, of course, you know, my dad didn't say much when I was a kid, but when I was older asking him for these stories, I said, so, boy, good thing there were those runaway tracks, right? I said, because, you know, and I had this fantasy happy ending that a truck would lose its brakes and it would take that turn and it would make it on the runaway track and it would slowly lose steam going up and then it would come to a stop and everybody would be fine. And uh, so my dad kind of looks at me sideways and I think he thought, yeah, you're old enough. And he goes, (laughs) well, actually, uh, that's not usually how it worked. I said, what do you mean, Dad? And he goes, well, all those runaway tracks were built for was to keep the wrecks off the highway. He said, if you were going fast enough and you got off onto that turn, he said, you usually rolled and you didn't make it. I said, ah, oh, dad. And he said, well, you want the stories, you got to have yeah. the truth, right? Yeah. And and that was just the way, it was a matter of fact to them. It was just, there were lots of accidents. It was a dangerous job. Um, they drove day and night to make money. Uh, often two drivers to a truck in the early days, no log books or anything. And one guy would sleep on the floor with his head on the seat, on his arms, and the other guy would drive. And when he got tired, they'd switch. And you had to go there and back, like constantly. You try and get back loads because if you weren't driving, you weren't making money. I mean, it was, but he said it was better money than most jobs like working in a grocery store. Mm. So that's how he did it. And that's how we met my mom and the rest is history. He never went back to the farm. <laughs> never went back. So how old was he when he started uh, started trucking? Oh, well, I know he never finished school. Uh, so I know he quit. He, he did some harvesting down in the States and stuff for a while. But by the time he went to Edmonton, I think he would have been maybe 18. Right. And then, so he was trucking by the time he was 20. And he said that uh, there were, like, literally, he could name, like, the 10 guys at that time that trucked on the highway. There just weren't that many of them. And then after the Alaska Highway was built um, and the war was over, well, then the Korean War came in. So then the highway was still busy because that Alaska base still needed supplies. So the truckers just kind of kept kept going. Um, and then there was the Canal Pipeline that they, you know, helped haul pipe when it was dismantled after the war. Um, but, you know, I was I was kind of raised in the 60s. And I thought it was a bad road then. And I also just, I grew up, like, I did not think the Alaska Highway was exciting. Like, we were stuck in the boonies. Our little tiny village was boring. It was six hours to the next community. Um, we didn't have a traffic light. We didn't have an elevator. We didn't, uh, we didn't, you know, we didn't have television. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Before the Annex satellite went up, we didn't have television. So it, it was not an exciting place to me. And all we cared about was going south. You know, like, that was civilization. And we would, you know, could hardly wait to get to a hotel down south and have television. And I could never figure out when I was a kid, my dad also had a gas station and, and these American tourists come up by the thousands every summer and they're going to Alaska. 
and I remember us kids talking and going, why would anybody go north? There's nothing up there, you know? Well, of course, you know, too late. You get older and your parents get older. And then about the time I started asking for the stories, I realized how remarkable that Alaska Highway story is, how few people know it. Um, you know, they built 1,500 miles of highway in less than nine months with the barest of equipment. Um, like I said, uncharted wilderness, incredible hardships, like freezing cold and mosquitoes and, and yellow fever and uh, just terribly difficult. And now when they talk about that highway, they say that it um, actually is, is an engineering marvel and it rivals the Panama Canal as being one of the great engineering you know, works of the 20th century. So now I look back and I go, wow, and my dad was part of that. But you know what it's like when you're a kid and your dad starts saying, well, once when I was, you know, when your eyes glaze over and you go, blah, 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 blah. And now I wish I could have that time back, of course. Yeah, sure. And uh, and there's something about stories that that are off the page, somebody telling you um, that's different than having to read it in a book or having to look it up on microfiche, right? When you have that person's voice telling you. So so my dad, I, it's a roundabout question. So you asked me what he was like. Well, he was difficult. He was cantankerous, uh, especially in his elder years. And so often me calling him up, the one safe topic we could talk about was I would ask him about the old days and we found common ground. So um, as he got a little bit more demented and erratic, um, you know, our relationship got more difficult. But once I realized that I could call him up and talk about the highway, then we had common ground. Mm -hmm. And I just, I would have a pen because I'm in Edmonton. I would have a pen and a paper and he would be telling me stuff and I would just be scribbling as fast as I could. And, you know, people never remember things in a linear way. So he'd tell you things and he might tell you the same story four times. And all of a sudden, the fifth time, he'd add a different part. And then I'd think, well, now, is that because he's getting a little bit demented or is that, you know, so I'd circle back to it. So I had to learn a lot, too, about kind of how to interview. You know, uh, it's not, I mean, I have worked as a broadcaster before, so I have, but it's different when you're interviewing for history. And then when they tell you things, you have to go, okay, now, where does that belong in the puzzle, right? And so it was a great learning experience for me. And I I was so proud of him. And I I, I realized, I think, too late, like many young people. Uh, just sometimes your parents are pretty amazing. And, mm-hmm. and as difficult as he was, he had lived a difficult life, and it was quite a time in history. So if you weren't tough and if you weren't a pink cantankerous, you wouldn't have survived, I don't think. So how did you meet your mother? <laughs> so, okay, so when the war's over and all these soldiers, you know, come home, well, again, there's no jobs on the prairies. There's, all the boys are coming back and everybody needs a job. And so her brothers actually, again, had heard about the North. And because they were ex-military, the Canadian Army was looking after the maintenance of the Alaska Highway. It had been handed to them from the Americans. And so they needed mechanics. And that's what my uncles had done in the war. So they go up north and they get jobs. So then they say to their sisters, you know, come on up, there's jobs, you won't believe it. So then my mom and her sisters, they came up one by one. My mom was one of the younger ones. And they worked in the army uh, mess halls. And then when the highway was open to the public, then there were gas stations and they had restaurants. And some of her older sister and husband got a restaurant. So my mom went and worked in the cafe. So she was working at a cafe at Toad River. And my uncle, who had been one of the original few white guides for the army, when he got out of the, when it, the war was over, he actually started up a stopping place at Toad River. And uh, so his wife calls up the younger sister. My mom goes up. And uh, so one day she's behind the counter, literally serving pie for the truckers. And in walks my dad. And of course, there aren't too many young, beautiful women <laughs> up there. <laughs> and he thinks, literally, he said, I'm, he was 26 by that time. And he'd been trucking for a few years. And he thought, I'm not letting this one get away. Like, she's the best that's come up. <laughs> and so he just more or less moved in and elbowed everybody else out of the way. But of course, he'd have to go on trips and come back. And he'd come back and maybe she'd be serving pie to somebody else. And he didn't like that. 
So, uh, but anyway, that was that was it. She literally was was a waitress on the highway, and 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 her roots go back again, right? So, on both my mom and my dad, um, have, we have family connections and things that are named after my family on the highway or my uncles or whatever. And like what? Give me okay, an so right outside of Fort Nelson, there's a, a lake called Parker Lake, which is my mom's maiden name. Um, and my uncle Ben was the first mayor of Fort Nelson, and he had a float plane; he could fly. And so he he wanted to be able to to land his plane, um, be handy to home, um, because again, up in the north there aren't many runways and things. And so he built a dock and everything. And because he built the road out to the lake, he had a road construction company. So I I'm sure he didn't chart those hours, but he built a little a short road off the highway to access the lake. Built a little dock there for his float plane. So everybody just called it Parker Lake. I mean, I don't know that the government ever officially named it that, but eventually it became officially named that. And it was just because it was where he where his plane was. And then at Toad River, my uncle um, Lash Collison, and I'll be telling a story about him actually at the at the festival here. Um, so there's Collison Road, right? Is is where where Toad River was one of the one of the little roads in the hamlet is Collison Road. Um, yeah, so I mean, that's that's family, mm-hmm. and I go home every chance I can get. Like I'm, I'm uh, you know. A long way. Edmonton to my hometown is a long way, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kilometers. But I go home every chance I can get. And I just, the older I get, the more I miss it. And I go, I go back. Yeah. Does your extended family know these stories? Well, um, certainly. So most of my hometown is my mom's side of the family, the Parkers. That's where they all settled. My dad was the only one of his family to come up. So really, my hometown is full of my mother's family. Right. Um, and certainly, lots of their dads and moms, you know, were the early pioneers in the area. So they would know some of the stories. But I don't think everybody is a gatherer of stories. When we have family parties and they all play music, and I mean, they'll say, you know, they know that you have the story, so they'll say, you tell it, right? Or they'll come and tell you things, you know? But I would say my dad should have been a history teacher, like if he'd finished school, because he not only knew his own stories, he would talk to my mom's brothers about their family history, and he knew it better than my mom, and he would tell it to us kids. So I think when you are a person that is a keeper of stories, it's just in you. And people come and start giving you that material. And I know when uh, we take this show up the Alaska Highway next summer, I know there'll be people coming up to us afterwards while we're trying to pack up, telling us things. And I actually, um, you know, because it's the Alaska Highway 75th, I did say to the this, these committees that are organizing it that I was doing this show, and I said, you know, if you can get a grant, it doesn't have to be an expensive sound booth or anything, but if you can just pay a person like a summer student and get some recording equipment and have them follow our show they can stand there afterwards and they can record and I said I'm telling you truckers the last of the truckers will come up the last of the waitresses their kids and they'll have stories and you should record them and they went oh yeah mm -hmm." and that just never (laughs) happened and I didn't have the time to make it happen but this is the 75th and by the time they have the 80th you know there's going to be even fewer still sure because this was built in 42 right Um, but I feel it's a lost opportunity the storyteller in me like it just hurts because I, I know when we tell these stories, they're going to be coming up. And, and, and I will be packing up and moving on to the next town, and I won't have time to get those stories. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's a future project. That's to, a future. To, I want to go, go back. back. Yeah. And again, I always say to people, you don't have to edit it. It doesn't have to be perfect. Just get the tape rolling. You can always make something pretty of it afterwards. Just get them talking. Yeah. And later you can worry about cataloging it and blah, blah, blah. So if we could even get people to do that. So... Um, so I'll see. Maybe I'll do a salesman job at every place I stop and find even one person in that community. And nowadays with digital and, you know, your iPhone, you can do it. So, yeah, that would be like I need another job. But, right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just that when you open this and you can see the clock ticking, you know, you, you kind of get desperate. When you're a keeper of stories, you just know how valuable they are. Yeah. 
T- tell me a little bit about the research then. Did you, did you know much about the the history, like the the textbook history of the highway before you started this project? That's the part that I worked at. Yeah. Um, now, when I when I was thinking of the show um, in my head, I knew that I didn't want to just basically stand up and give a lecture, right? Because that's that's different. That's that can be fascinating, but that's not what a storytelling show is. Um, so I knew I had the trucker stories, and I knew I you know, and I have the the wildlife stories, and I have all of those just from my family. Um, but but it was the history of the highway that I had to get right. So that was the big, you know, I went to the archives and got photos. And, of course, my dad had a ton of them himself, and so did my uncles. But I went and looked at the, the Army photos, um, you know, and I did. I went online, and I would get research and so that I had my dates and the chronology. And I do tell one story that is uh, the creation of the Alaska Highway, and it's probably the most technical because it's, you know, you, you want to fill it with the people in the story and give it some heart, but you're basically telling the story of, you know, the Pearl Harbor and, you know, why the Alaska Highway was was decided it was necessary. And then even to get it right um, for the engineers, because I know if I don't get it right, there's going to be an engineer in the audience, some old vet from Alabama, and he's going to come up and say, that's not what happened. So you do, you want to get it right. And it is fascinating. Like the, 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 um, the, the part of me that loves facts um, loves to learn about Corduroy Road and how it was a Roman technique, and yet they used that to fill the muskeg. And loves to know about how they, you know, when you build on permafrost, you know, it, it collapses, and then you got to figure out ways to chart the, or, you know, course the water off. And uh, the, when the when the rains would come down in a hurry and, and take out the bridges, and they had to reconstruct the bridges, and uh, you know, all, all of those little aspects of building the highway and how hard it was, and how they had to get equipment across before the ice went out, you know, because mm-hmm. then all you had was pontoon ferries. Well, what's a pontoon ferry? That's another sidebar. And yeah, you start to build all this knowledge. And uh, I don't want it. I, the trick is to be able to present it in a way that is still a story, because you have to lose some of the facts. If it just becomes a listing of facts, then you might as well read it's it online. Just information, then. Yeah. So yeah. it's the tricky story was that one because you're crafting it and you're trying to get the heart in it, and you want those people to just feel the misery those soldiers went through, and the loneliness and the deprivation and the illness and the cold and the frostbite and the. But then you also want them to marvel at the engineering aspect of it mm. and what they did in nine months, like amazing. So, so I'm very passionate about it. What was your What was your favorite anecdote of your father's? Is there one that sticks out in your mind? Yeah, I, I can tell us a short one. Yeah. Um, so, with the trucks were, were terrible in the early days, as as he said, bad brakes and you know bad batteries, and they were always breaking down. And the highway was so remote that if you broke down, uh, whoever eventually came along, you would know. <laughs> there were so few of you, but you could wait like the better part of a day for another vehicle. So it was really cold. And my dad says back then in the 40s and 50s, the temperature would get way colder than it does today. So it was very common to be driving a truck 45, 50 below and the trucks would die on you. So he was in a remote chunk of highway up north of Fort Nelson and uh, his battery died. And he just knew that he only, like the truck was cooling off. He couldn't stay in the truck or he'd freeze to death. And, and he, and you know, it was getting night and he'd probably have to last till morning. So while there was still daylight, um, and while the truck was still warm, he got his tools out and he unscrewed the seat, the driver's seat, and then he took it out of the truck and he took it off into some bush where there was a little bit of shelter and he put there so he wouldn't be sitting on the ground. And then he gathered some, um, some brush to make a little fire and he figured he would just sit there all night long. And he said every trucker had a can of, of gas so that you, for these emergencies, but it was so cold that the gas wouldn't light. So he said when he got the um, brush together and he poured some of the gas on with the match, it just burned the gas off and it didn't ignite the wood. And he knew he couldn't keep doing that because he only had so much gas. But if he didn't do it, he would freeze to death. And so he said he just got this brainwave. And so what he did was he got some oil. And before it froze, he poured it on first. And then he mixed the gas into the oil. 
and so that it would hold the gas longer. And then it took, um, it, it caught, and then he was able to get more brush and get a fire. And then he said all night long, he just kept turning himself to the fire. And then by the time daylight come, you know, you can hear a truck coming. Um, especially in the cold air. And so he got out and flagged eventually somebody down. And he, he said, you know, the only thing I regret, and I said, there's only one thing you regret, Dad, out of that whole story. <laughs> and he goes, yeah, I said, I was so hungry that night. He said, I was burning up calories. I was freezing. And he said, and when daylight came and I went to put my seat back in the truck, he said, I saw a bag underneath the seat and it was full of chocolate bars. And he said, I forgot we often would carry chocolate bars for emergency rations. And he said, and in the dark when I was taking the seat out, I, I didn't see it and I forgot it. And he said, so I was hungry all night long and I could have been eating frozen chocolate bars. <laughs> But I mean, he could have died. Yeah. And he knew he could have died. That's how close they were between, you know, life and death. Yeah. One mistake. We're we're coming close to the end of the interview, but the one one piece I wanted to ask you about briefly was uh, you mentioned how there is an, going to be kind of an indigenous component mm-hmm. to this because this was all indigenous land that yes. the white fellows came and mm-hmm. built a built a road through. What what uh, what do you think that telling that side of the story brings to your performance? Um, well, of course, we see it from my, my uncle's point of view or my dad's point of view. We came and we cleared that land and basically nobody was there. Well, yeah, they were. So what Allison brings to it is she has, a, for example, an amazing anecdote. She would never call herself a storyteller, but she is. Of um, Her um, great-grandmother was uh, in, in the bush with the kids and the husband, Charlie, was off being a guide. So she knew a highway was coming, but she didn't even really understand too much what that was. And their introduction to white men was this sound. And when she looked up, there was a monster coming through the bush, chewing down the trees. And there she was with her kids, right, in, in their little camp, you know, with the dried meat hanging. And that, that dozer coming through the bush was her introduction, basically, to white, white people and, you know, to the Alaska Highway coming into their territory. So when you think that they came from that life to within one generation, you know, and, and even, you know, two, two three generations, quads and, and uh, you know, satellite dishes, uh, Allison kind of brings that all together. She talks about what it was like before and how resilient her people were, and then through time to where they are today. Mm. And very proud and very amazing young woman, and she's the keeper of their stories. Yeah, the McDonald clan. So when will the project be up and running along the highway? Um, well, so so 2017 is a big year, yeah. but our tour is basically the month of July. So we will start in Edmonton, even though Edmonton is not on the Alaska Highway. It was the construction base for the highway. So we'll start July 1st. Um, and we'll do a launch at the Provincial Archives. And then we'll go up to Grand Prairie because people had to go through that to get to the Alaska Highway. And then we start again in Dawson. And then we do lots of communities all along that highway. And we unfortunately, we couldn't, I didn't have enough planning time to get into Alaska. We end in Whitehorse. But by the end of July, we'll, we'll have gone all the way up the highway in 12 communities, including Teslin and Lower Post, which are First Nation communities. Um, with people whose elders, you know, were involved mm-hmm. at that time. And um, and then some of the biggest halls are like in the big bigger cities, oh, big I say, but uh, like a 400-seat theater, right down to, well, probably 12 people. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it sounds like it's going to be a fun a fun trip. Uh, it's going to be busy. The Alaska you're... Highway Roadshow. People <laughs> can find us. <laughs> if people do want to find you online, how do how do people track you down? Well, if you were to Google Kathy Jessup, Kathy with a K, J-E-S-S-U-P, um, you can get my website. Um, the Alaska Highway Roadshow is on Facebook. That's a great way to find out about the show. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're all findable on the internet. Yeah, we yeah. are. Yeah. Well, it has been a delight, and it's nice to hear you tell some of those stories. Well, thanks for for asking the questions. Yeah, well, thank you for coming in, and uh, I hope to see you back in Newfoundland again at some point soon. All right. Thanks, Dale. Thanks. I'm Dale Jarvis. You've been listening to Living Heritage, 
a production of CHMR Radio 93.5, in collaboration with the Intangible Cultural Heritage Office of the Heritage Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador. You can find us online at ichblog.ca or on iTunes. Our production assistant is Tara Barrett. We would love to know what you think of the show. Leave us a comment on the Living Heritage Podcast Facebook page or tweet us at ICH underscore NL. Thanks for listening.